All right, so Drew, you're you're one of, you're like me, right? You you spend October watching as many horror films as possible. Yeah. I I do I do I actually I'm starting a little later this year because I did what the 61 days uh, of of horror last year for which Shutter oh wow their whole thing but I kind of over OD'd by the time I got to Halloween so I was like I feel like given how much horror I watch around the year anyways uh, I'm gonna just hold off for October so yeah I just started last night with I started with uh, the thing so my wife and I ordered the 4k we got the the studio canal one uh which uh if you get if you were lucky enough to get that one in the united kingdom it comes with the remake which i've not seen um the morricone cd and some like little postcards and posters and trinkets and stuff it's pretty cool so um i'm waiting to watch the movie itself with her but i did the commentary last night which if you have not experienced the john carpenter Mm -hmm. and kurt russell commentary before they're just so much fun it reminds me a lot of uh, Cliff and Rick in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood watching mm-hmm. that episode of FBI, and they just cackle and laugh and share fun anecdotes for, you know, two hours, and, you know, it sounds like they're drinking at the time. It's, <laughs> it's always a good time. Yeah, you know that Twitter account, John Frankensteiner? Um, so a while back they posted, um, like, a super cut of, of the Carpenter Russell uh, commentary. And it's just like, whenever I uh, feel a little grumpy or, or down, I'll, I'll play that clip. And it's like an instant you know, injection of happy. Cause they are just having the time. And this just ridiculous laughter. Kind of like I just laughed about Felch. Um. <laughs> that was, that wasn't on the show though. <laughs> so a lot of people are going to be very confused right now. <laughs> Um, I have heard that commentary, and um, and yeah, it is great. Um, I watched. <laughs> I uh, that's a tough thing to re- rebound from, just in general. We had some fun before the uh, the mics were on. Um, I watched American Werewolf in London, and um, and I think I'd seen it once since. But I, I realized I my parents took me to the theater, and I saw that when I was about nine. So that's uh, that dates me a little bit, and. Um, Watching it now and realizing what I saw at nine and how <laughs> I mean they spend like they have a horror scene or a changing into a werewolf in a in a porno theater as a porno is actually going on. <laughs> My parents, what, what in the world were you thinking? Um, but but I, they, I watched the commentary for that as well, and they had um, I think his name was Paul Davis, and it was a good one. He's he's like obsessed with this movie and. Um, Spent like, he made actually a documentary about this movie, um, a, a separate one. So he knows his stuff. But he mentioned the thing and this as being like really the turning point for practical effects and and uh, you know launched a lot of careers. Of course, Rick Baker, you know, is a huge, huge star um, and huge talent. So um, yeah, nice little overlap there. And uh, and welcome, Drew, Drew Morton. So Drew, do you want to tell our listeners a little about yourself? Sure. I'm an associate professor of mass communication at Texas A&M University in Texarkana. Um, I specialize in American film history, comic books. My first book is about uh, the stylistic overlap between American film and comic books, uh, basically from the late 90s to the 20 aughts. So basically, if you go from Ang Lee's Hulk and Sin City, uh, the Frank Miller, Robert Rodriguez film to something like Scott Pilgrim. 
so that's primarily what I focused on for a long time. And then I've kind of pivoted out uh, to do more work on like videographic criticism, both the practice of making video essays. Uh, so I made pieces for like Fandor and stuff, and I edited a journal, a scholarly journal of them. Um, and then more recently, I've, I've put together a book during COVID because I had no access to my books or my uh, videographic criticism tools, my burner and all my discs and all that. Um, I put together a book on the uh, Watchmen uh, HBO show that's coming out next year, so I'm pretty excited about that. You know what, Drew? Awesome. I think I think we talked before. Um, I'm gonna look at my <laughs> Gmail because I, I didn't realize <laughs> didn't the, about Fandor. Um, I think I remember when. So I, I did watch your videos when on Fandor, and they were great. And I remember when that fell through. I think I, I gave you a pick me up. I could be thinking about somebody somebody else at Fandor. I, I think you may have. I, I get I get emails every once in a while from somebody who finds like the the piece on like film noir. That wasn't. I don't know if that piece was for Fandor, but people who were on Fandor tended to find my my website. But yeah, when Kevin Lee was running that whole kind of initiative that they had, I think it was before they hired Jared Leto to be the the guest curator, which is kind of when everything <laughs> fell apart. Um, but no, they let Kevin Lee, like do this amazing work. And then there was like this line in the sand that happened about six months after Kevin took over where all of a sudden they were like, we don't want you to like record voiceover anymore. We want subtitles instead. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, people are watching these videos with mute. And I was like, well, you can't like, and I was like, as soon as Fandor started asking for that, I was just like. Yeah, it's nice to get paid to do these things, but I feel like that completely goes against the whole point of doing that. I them. love that Jared Leto and really <laughs> like the demise of of that. Um it was it was strangely tied to that moment where like they wanted to like reach out to like the A24 stands or something and it was like <laughs> let's let's get Jared Leto. Mm. <laughs> well, I just I just pinged my Google my, my my Google, ping my Google. That sounds like something 50 year old say that's ex- yeah <laughs> or, very sexual <laughs> oh jill you, you always go there <laughs> uh, we had a twitter exchange as far back as 2015 at least uh, and that was just from oh, like, look uh, at that. Some, some quick clicks so yeah nice uh nice to have I, that's we, so cute i'll make sure we follow nice each other to, I, nice I don't know put a, put a voice with a name yeah yeah <laughs> that guy that random guy you know i, I saw <laughs> it on random. It was a show, show thread so i, I you might have been a listener and you didn't know it or vice versa anyway glad to have you on um we're going to talk about some criterion horror and um kino cult and some other stuff so let's just dive into horror uh, we selected like a handful of titles that we think are pretty amazing and have a few words to say about them so um jill do you want to take the first one we, yeah. we could rotate it doesn't matter yeah sure so um i gotta find my list here oh there it is okay yes yeah, so do we just want to start at the top yeah so we've got the blob with uh steve mcqueen which is campy b film a lot of fun you guys like that one super campy it's got a fun title sequence from what i remember doesn't it mm-hmm. like is it got like a swirl and like a fun mm-hmm. like rock song or something it's been ages since i've seen it i wouldn't yeah, call it rock it's a fun one. Um, <laughs> it has <laughs> It has a song that if you play it three times, you will you will not stop thinking about it for like 
three months. <laughs> if you play it three times, the blob shows up to your house. We did an episode on it, and and I, I, I guess I had to watch it a couple times, and I swear, like I, I I'm glad I'm the, the song's amazing, but I'm glad I've forgotten it, so I couldn't sing it right now. But no, it's it's great, campy <laughs> horror. <laughs> um, and and actually, speaking of practical effects, you know, for for 1950 whatever, yeah, uh, that blob was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. All right, so we're kind of going alphabetical. We actually pulled these from um, a Criterion Horror list, but we found it kind of inadequate, <laughs> and yeah. um, so we just grabbed the best of them. So uh, speaking of old episodes, The Brood is David Cronenberg, uh, and we did an episode mm-hmm. about that a long, long time ago, actually with Brian, Brian Saar, so that, that's going back away. Oh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Brian's the best, and... Um, yeah. Glad he's doing well with uh, Pure Cinema and um, mm-hmm. di- uh, uh, just the discs. just the discs, yeah. Yep, and he's got a great blog too. He does, yeah, and he got YouTube too. So, hey Brian, and mm-hmm. uh, hey Brian, I, yeah, I love, I love, I don't love the Brood, but I mean, I it's pretty compelling. And uh, and when we dug into like the psychology of the, you know, what, what we dubbed them the Teletubbies that uh, that people send after <laughs> the people they hate, I um, mean, it's it's pretty deep actually so i don't know if you, you like like this one have you seen it drew oh yeah no i i really like the brood um I, i'm more hot to trot on like golden age cronenberg in the 80s but mm. oliver reed being oliver reed um just makes everything worth watching oliver reed yes master love that <laughs> love that bastard well, yeah he's uh, just women in love the wrestling scene <laughs> <laughs> he's so <laughs> he's so great. I I was I mean yeah I guess so. <laughs> my wife is a big fan of uh, of Alan Bates, so she. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. So um, yes. I, I don't know if she can hear me right now. Uh, Carnival of Souls. Hmm. That's a good one. Carnival of Souls is one of my favorites. There's just there's so much style in that movie for absolutely no money whatsoever, but it, it's so effective and. I'm convinced that you wouldn't have a sixth sense without <laughs> Carnival of Souls. <laughs> um, maybe maybe that's kind of overstating its importance, but I, I I just think it's it's so eerie. The locations, the weird pancake makeup is strangely effective. It's 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 a great flick. And you know, um, I, I forget the name of the director, but he's oh, uh, Herc, right? Good old Herc, Herc. Harvey. Herc Harvey, man. Herc, yeah. Um, he had done commercials like the PSA commercials, um, like the kind they make fun of with uh, you know MST3K, and yeah, and I I kind of think that he he might not have known what he was doing, and that actually adds to the um, probably yeah it works yeah it it actually just makes sense because they had fantastic locations and uh, good, good performance but strange I mean it just works so. I mean look when you're named Herc. <laughs> You can get away with a lot. You know, well, and that's the, that's the fun thing about that disc too. They have all those like industrial, those weird industrial yeah, things he they did do. on there. Yeah. And is Herc like was he when he was born? Like, no offense to anyone named Herc <laughs> listening to this, but like, did his mother was his mother like? And I'll name you Herc. Is Herc it, short for like Herky? Hercules. Her, Her, Hercules. Her, Hercules. It could be Hercules. Yeah, no, I, I, I've not met a Herc in my life. so I, I've never met a Herc, but man, God bless Herc Harvey. <laughs> well, he, Say that five times fast. Herc Harvey, Herc Harvey. He'll come Herc back. Herc Harvey, Herc Harvey. 
<laughs> it's like that golden age of old people names that like yeah. in the 50s where you had like opals and pearls and feldspar and mm-hmm. people Felds. named after weird <laughs> weird minerals my grandma's name is melma and that died with the flintstones so oh my god i love it uh, feldspar all right cat people you got anything jill yeah i do so we showed this to ellie last year i was like you know, it's a she kind of gets into the universal monsters. She loves those, and then I was like, you know, it's not really like it, it's more atmospheric, scary. You know, maybe she'll get into it. And then we're sitting there, and I'm like, oh my god, there's there's a lot here. <laughs> and uh, you know, looking over at Thomas, and he's like, you dumbass i cannot believe you put this on because it's all about the fact that she is frigid as fuck and um but luckily you know ellie didn't pick up on any of that so Mm -hmm. you know one day and she watched she wants to watch it like all the time so uh one day when she's older it's gonna hit her like so hard she's like Oh yeah, yeah. probably I like my it. my London thing. She's gonna be like, oh my, what word? They showed me that, and I had no idea. They showed me, they showed me this. Not <laughs> just about. Of course, mine had an actual. <laughs> yes. Going yes. On. So, yeah, uh, Val Luton, <laughs> uh, during that period, just everything he did was great. Oh yeah, I'm so glad those are finally getting upgraded to blue, especially with the Warner Archive. Bedlam and uh, is it Isle of, Isle of the Dead already came out? What's with Bedlam? Get, ghost Ship, right? Yeah, I don't because know. yeah, my DVD set from that Val Luton thing was starting to disc rot, and I was like, please come out with oh, Seventh no. Victim, please. And I don't think I Walked with a Zombie is out. Yeah, that, that feels yes. like it could be a, a Criterion. Oh, that one's great. I mean, talk about making that that little bit of money stretch i mean he could was a very economical and effective filmmaker um that you don't really see the cut corners you know mm-hmm. um love him okay so next one is chronos but we can, i think we can just throw in that trilogia is that how you say it for our, our good friend guillermo del toro gdt um so let's see chronos is eerie but enjoyable and devil's backbone is pretty much like your ideal horror i, I don't know what, what do you think drew oh i love devil's backbone um and you know crimson peak and all the del toro stuff uh he's, he's so much fun and so stylish and yeah no i, I really enjoy his work um you know, I didn't like Crimson Peak. I, I I actually bought the Blu-ray to give it a second chance, and I set that aside for um for this month. So, expectations I think got in the way on that one, where I think it was marketed far more straightforward as a ghost story. But you know, if you're mm-hmm. kind of into it more as like a gothic horror, you know, something like Rebecca or you know, or a little lower key, uh, I think it really pays dividends. And uh, yeah, yeah, it looked music am- and. Looked amazing. Um, I, I yeah. So that's why I'm ready to give it another shot. So, uh, all right. Well, we have uh, Nick Rogue's uh, "Don't Look Now." Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, did not watch that one when I was a kid. Uh, that would, but that's totally a movie my parents would have taken me to, <laughs> um, and scarred me for life. Um, have, you, have you seen it, Jill? I don't think we've talked about this one. I haven't. I've seen bits and pieces, but I've not seen the whole thing. 
Actually, yeah, no. You Wait, what? You shouldn't watch this. Yeah. Just knowing how you are yeah. with horror, I don't think. No. Nah, yeah. yeah, especially with since Ellie. Yeah. Pass. Yeah. Yeah, and we yeah on the last on the last run through, you were talking about how you were a little slasher adverse, so that that may yeah. 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 Spoiler yeah, alert. This is the second take. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, yeah, sorry. I was like I was like, do I talk about the Guillermo del Toro Hitchcock thing from last episode? Like, it's like do I set somebody else up to ask me about that? I was like, what are we doing with that? I was gonna ask you, Drew, um but it would seem out of nowhere, but I was gonna ask you if Guillermo del Toro <laughs> likes food. <laughs> If he, yes, yes, Guillermo he, del Toro does like. He food. looks like a person. Um, so not fat shaming. Um, <laughs> tell the story. Drew. No, no, and, and he he very much he's very open about it. So I I said on the previous version that Nicole and I had met him twice, and at one version of the story was that uh, we had seen him. I think it was for a Q and A for Hellboy Two, and he told the story about how he was coming back from his bleak house up in the hills, the the, the DGA, and he had found a. Uh, and my wife used to work at the DGA, which is where we saw the Hellboy 2 Q&A, that he had wow. found a chicken nugget under the seat of his car. Uh, and he <laughs> thought it was a day or two old, and he had absolutely no shame in eating the chicken nugget. No one in the audience blamed him because, of course, you know, those things last forever. They're like Twinkies. So why wouldn't you eat the chicken nugget found under your seat? Um, so we're, we're at this screening, and we're laughing at the story. And one of my wife's coworkers turns to her, and he had crossed paths with Guillermo del Toro a couple times at, at Comic-Con and had essentially said, um, you know, that one of the best memories he had of Guillermo del Toro uh, was when he was doing a signing and someone had brought him like a homemade cookie and that his eyes had like lit up and he had been very, very excited about this. So flash forward about five, six years and um, Guillermo del Toro is doing his exhibit at LACMA of all of his cool shit in his, in his second house, which is basically, uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, is like the, the world's most robust geeky man cave uh, on, the, on the face of the earth. And um, he's doing a signing of the exhibition catalog, and we're waiting in line, and it's been hours, and my wife is like, I know what I'm going to do for Guillermo del Toro. That man likes food. I'm going to go get him uh, a, a blueberry muffin from the uh, coffee cart at LACMA. Because Lord knows by the time we get up there in another hour or two, he's going to signing four hours and be a little, you know, down on his uh, down on his energy. So I'm going to get him a, a blueberry muffin. So she does and she gets it and he, she presents it to him and he just this sheer happiness uh, when we finally get up to the table <laughs> that he can take a minute to have a snack. And he was very, very kind with his time and, and, and told us that, uh, this, he had written his master's thesis on Alfred Hitchcock, and I've always kind of wanted to read it uh, because he's always so thoughtful oh. in the different interviews he does uh, about Hitchcock and style on the different discs from Criterion and such like that. Um, if it's ever going to come out, and he had said that they were working on a translation. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but hopefully, hopefully now, maybe with the Nightmare Alley finally coming out, mm. we may see that, that book. But that's the Guillermo del Toro story. He likes food and Hopefully his Hitchcock book will be coming out soon. He's the real deal. Have, that was have you great. S- yeah, um, I, can't, I forget which desk had the supplement, but they go through his um, his really his like memorabilia room, and and it's almost like a house for memorabilia. Like he generally just loves loves cinema, and apparently chicken nuggets it, it, it does not um, <laughs> does not really 
care about the expiration or the was it last i think it was last year with all the wildfires bleak house was actually in danger Hmm. um if i remember correctly um yeah which was that kind of like i think everybody was like shit (laughs) please don't don't uh don't catch on fire don't catch on fire. I don't know how yeah. much was actually there though, because I think I think that show was still traveling. So don't get me wrong. Yeah, losing Bleak House would have been something horrible. But yeah, I, I don't no. I know think how was I think there the was an exhibit in in Mexico, wasn't there? He oh. had something. There was like a. Spe- it, tra- it traveled. The one that he did for LACMA went to. Okay. I know Minnesota got it. It was it was making the rounds. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see it. I love directors who are who are movie lovers yes. you know like because you don't you don't get that from you don't get that vibe from so many of them it's like they're doing it they're into their own thing mm-hmm. you know but to yeah. have a director be so open about just and energetic about cinema he's one obviously scorsese and um yeah, I'd say PTA is in that group. Yeah, a uh, Wes you Anderson. Know, um, um, I, I've just been reading West, French Dispatch, right. and it's like just full of film film history. So, right. Um, I just I love that. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Let's let's see. So, a racer ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Drew. So Drew and I, you know, have known each other for a long time, and uh, what we figured, what 10, 11 years? Is that right? more than that i think probably close to 15 15 it's been a long time probably yeah yeah so we were at a a screening at a uh part of tcm TCM film fest yeah and this was maybe 2013 2014 and they do these midnight screenings um on i think two of the nights and so they were doing a screening of eraserhead in one of the smaller multiplex theaters there at the Hollywood and Highland uh, Grauman's Chinese theater. And uh, so we're all like, there's quite a few people there. Usually like the midnights, you know, they will be like a pretty devoted group, but they're not as uh, heavily attended, but this was pretty packed. And um, Patton Oswalt was there to introduce it. And he um, tells this story about he had was in the valley and he needed to use the phone and, you know, this like pre-cell phone or at least, yeah, mm-hmm. ubiquitous cell phone usage. And he stops off at a um, roadside motel and there's a pay phone there. And he is on the phone and he like looks and all of a sudden like Jack Nance emerges from the room, from a room at this roadside motel and just starts walking toward him, just like just directly into him. And he's like, he looks dead. And Patton's like, what the fuck? And then... (laughs) And then I'll let Drew finish it because this is so. Did, like, did, did it look so like Nance a, is, a, a yeah. Herc Herbie kind of perspective? Was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Herc. So yeah. he's yeah. I think the way he tells it is he's walking directly towards him, and then like it's one of these moments where he's like, "Is he going to walk into me?" Like he's, yeah. he's literally like heading right towards me, like a like a 
fucking torpedo out of a submarine. And then he, like, at the last second, he veers off. He veers off. Pat Oswalt just, like, he, he, he stops there, and then there's a pause, and he's like, and then he died the next day. <laughs> it sounds like a, I mean, that's tragic, but that sounds like a Norm MacDonald joke. <laughs> I mean, and it totally sounds like a Lynch movie. I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah and, totally, yeah. And when Patton tells the story, like, everybody's just hanging on. And he's, he, you know, if you, you hear Patton tell stories or jokes or whatever, he's very very descriptive and so people are just like hanging on to his every word and then he's like then the next day he died and everybody was like (gasps) do i laugh do i laugh Um, and he and and i think i doesn't he end the story too by saying something he's like was i in like a purgatory for like half half an hour and yeah was, did and I he see was, Jack Nance's soul? Like, yeah, what was it, that? Yeah, there was a whole thing about, like, he may have already been dead, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, yeah. and it was so fascinating. But the the other thing, which will segue in, because Drew's got something to say, too, because his screaming was so crazy. But, like, Patton asks everybody, um, you know, how many of you have not seen Eraserhead? And it was, I mean, it, it was more than half of the audience. Mm-hmm. And Patton, of course, like does this hilarious laugh, like maniacal, holy shit laugh. And he's like, you guys are in for a fucking treat. Um, and then even asks, you know, is anybody there on a date? And of course, there was a couple that raised their hands and, you know, <laughs> but um, but our friend uh, Jessica Pickens was sitting next to us and uh, drew <laughs> Drew has a little yeah, funny so, thing about Yeah, so so I I stopped at a certain point during the movie. My wife and I just stopped watching the film and watched people reacting to the <laughs> film. Um, and I, I just remember Jessica's face where it started off with like this kind of head tilt, like trying to make sense of what she was seeing, and then the baby comes along and her mouth <laughs> starts to form like this this grimace, like kind of shocked O face thing going on. And then just as the film went on, her jaw just dropped further and further <laughs> down her torso. And uh, it was it was fun to watch. It was it was kind of like when I show my students in Shenandoah, I don't give them any sort of preface. I just show Ooh. it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. You know, two minutes in, it's like, oh, God damn. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it was kind of the same thing. You had all these folks who were like, you know high on singing in the rain and Casablanca coming. Yeah. They're like, we came to this festival for gone with the wind. Damn it. (laughs) Well, in heaven, everything is fine is what they got. Um, I can't imagine seeing that for the first time. uh, uh, Without warning. I I don't don't remember when I saw it for the first time. That's crazy. But I probably knew (laughs) that it was what it was. Um, all right, uh, Franju's, uh, I think that's how you pronounce the name, uh, Georges Franju, Eyes Without a Face. Uh, also, well, I guess we can go from Jack Nance's death to um, his documentary about um, uh, abattoirs and slaughtering. That was like, that's like one of the darkest things I've ever seen. I, have you seen it, Drew? Yeah, no, I love Eyes Without a Face, and yeah, Frenju's uh, Blood of the Beasts is incredibly difficult to watch, but he also has this, I, I, I saw Eyes Without a Face on one of the first dates uh, I had with my wife. We went to go see it at UW uh, Student Union in uh, Milwaukee, and uh, I remember hearing about Blood of the Beasts and his work, 
and people had kind of warned me about the, the the scene in Eyes Without a Face where there's the the kind of time lapse of the the face transplants that go awry, and you know it's made in the late fifties, early sixties, so our sense of gore at that time is probably a little more dialed back, but it's it's pretty it's pretty graphic um, when the faces start to rot off the people that they've been transplanted Jesus. on. Um, and yet it's kind of beautiful, which is like his entire MO where you're watching something horrible or in the case of blood and the beast, something real and horrible. Mm -hmm. And yet there's like this weird poetry that only makes it more disturbing and more distressing because it's strangely beautiful. Um, so yeah, I, I strongly recommend the eyes without a face disc. And if you have the stomach for it. And I, some people would argue that if you are a meat eater, the only ethical thing you can do is watch Blood of the Beast because you owe it to the animals to see what goes into the process. Mm -hmm. um, watch Blood without uh, Blood of the Beast as well. I mean, it is the process, and and I think it's actually eerier because it isn't black and white. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, it would probably be unwatchable in color, but um, but it, that kind of adds to that aesthetic, the, a little of the beauty in the gore. Um, but that yeah, that's that's where it's a real thing. Um, all right, so we have Haxon, witchcraft throughout the ages. Um, I, as the history guy here, it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that it was one on one. They're like, yep, yep, that he got it. Um, so what? That's nineteen twenty two, and then they had the Burroughs version, and in. Late sixties, I want. I want to say. I think sixty six. Yeah, sixty six, sixty eight. I think I was just looking at it when we were doing the previous uh, draft of this, and yeah, um, I, I had only seen the Burroughs version initially, and I I didn't really get the hype uh, behind the film. So when it was announced for Blu Ray, I was a little like, I was like, do I get this or not? And everyone else was pretty hot and bothered by it, and I was like, I'm gonna give it another go. And yeah, that nineteen twenty two original version. It's very different. Um, the Burroughs one seems weirdly campy to me, which may have been intended, but I thought the original version was much more kind of interesting in the mm -hmm. kind of fake documentary, mockumentary thing kind of ahead of its time. You, you mean the true documentary? No. Um, I, yeah, I, the I, absolutely true. I, it's not, I mean, you can't really call it, I, I, guess, I guess for 1922 it's a horror, but like it's just different. It's uh, it, it, I, I think they were trying to approach this as, as if this is they're representing this uh, this um, macabre thing that has existed. Um, I, I'm not saying they believed it, but um, the imagery is just uh, really really um, stunning. But uh, yeah, it is definitely in the category of horror, but it doesn't feel like a horror. Uh, have you seen it, Jill? Uh, yeah. What do you think? It's been a, oh, I like it. Yeah. It's not my you know I wouldn't. It's not one of my go to once but i've seen it a couple times and thomas that's actually one thomas um wanted to see because he's all into that shit this is dorky but <laughs> he's all into that shit I, it's it's so visually stunning that i've actually um put it on and i put my headphones on and i'll just choose like some weird music to listen to and watch it and um it act hey yeah you can do that works. in silent films sometimes you can uh, all right well this is a big one how sue ah that's right. I don't even know, know where to begin with Haosu. You know, guys, cherries are made for eating. <laughs> Fish are made to swim in the sea. You were meant to be loved a lot by nobody else but me. 
we're basically getting the songs of horror movies on Criterion in this episode. Um, it, that is one of the songs, right? It is. Uh, Cherries were made for eating. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> does the does the piano sing that one? <laughs> no. Is that the acoustic? Uh, the the hippy drippy. True. <laughs> How Su, um, how how do you how would you describe How Su to somebody that hasn't seen it? Um, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, that's that's about what I'd say too. I mean, it's like a you, fever dream doesn't come yeah. close. It's like okay, let's say a bad acid flashback. No, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I mean, it's just be. There's nothing, there's nothing like, else it. like it. Yeah. There's nothing. Else. Not a damn thing like it. I asked my wife if, if she wants to watch it tonight because it has cats, and she said, "Fuck you." <laughs> 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 it's so crazy. Uh, I mean, look, you know, how many movies are out there that have a a demon possessed? Baby grand piano that's like out there just munching, munching poon, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and laser eyeballed cat. That that's right. Cat, and yeah. like killer, killer light fixtures. And talking heads in water that come out of that, yeah. that are out of water buckets. Oh, that's right. And that um, that eat ass that eat ass that eat ass yeah, <laughs> and I, I, this is a random shot I remember is them walking through what's obviously a matte painting and they're holding another matte painting. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just yeah, it's just something. I mean, look, watch it high or not. You know, I'm convinced the drugs were invented because of this film. <laughs> Probably yes. yes. Uh, the Innocence. Yes. Uh, speaking of gothic horror, uh, Jack Clayton's masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. I think this is like the quintessential gothic horror. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, next to the um, to um, our the next film we're going to discuss. Yeah. It's. It is probably the the greatest gothic horror film. I, it took me a long time to see it, and uh, yeah, it, people had recommended it, and I was I was floored by it. It's gone from being something I hadn't seen until about four or five years ago to probably being one of my top ten. It's it's just the cinematography, that widescreen black mm-hmm. and white. It's it's so amazing, and the performances too. I mean, I, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. So I, I, it's been a few years since I've spun that one, so I might be bringing that back in October. Um, now, yeah, I just revisited it because it was um, Deborah Carr's hundredth the other day. Oh wow! So um, I uh, popped it on, and uh, yeah, I love it. It's just so well done, and it's just so fucking creepy. It's very creepy and for yeah. a lot of reasons. And and you know we so. we don't have um, Deborah Carr is just amazing and everything. We do, you know, I, I would almost argue that Black Narcissus is a horror in a way, a non-horror, and mm-hmm. that's one of the best performances of hers. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. So yeah. the next one is Night of the Hunter, which um, I'm curious. I didn't hadn't thought of this as a gothic horror. I think of it as kind of a noir horror in a way. But um, do you, you feel it's pretty gothic? 
I mean, and I think it just, it's <laughs> uh, in a class of its own. I don't think anything has, I don't think there's anything like it. I mean, it, it pulls heavy on that German expressionist mm-hmm. style. You know, you see, you see that in it. But um, I've always looked at it as almost like a Southern Gothic uh, mm-hmm. film. I would definitely classify yeah. it as Southern, that. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> and I think it's a perfect film for Halloween, and it's a perfect film for Christmas, and um, <laughs> a perfect time for Father's Day and Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> we love that movie in this house. We absolutely love it. So every so you know we just pulled out the big stack of Halloween movies to watch, and some are you know the adult movies, and some are more family centric and every time we pull the list out, and we literally pull out of the bookshelf and stack it up in front of the television and and uh we do the same thing at christmas too and uh every single year thomas goes night of the hunter mm. let's show it to ellie come on let's do it oh, has she seen it and then we, oh no okay. oh no oh no <laughs> i was gonna say and, that wow cool. but we joke about that every year and then Thomas for like a half a day will just walk around the house going children, <laughs> children, um, or singing, leaning on the everlasting arms, you know. So I, I, uh, it's a favorite. This, this is evidence of how the studio system sometimes just utterly failed because Charles Lawton is one for one, yeah, and probably would have been. Yeah. I mean, we know he's a legendary actor, but he probably would have been a great director uh, if he had. But I, I seem to remember they, either the studio hated it or it didn't do well. I forget why, and they would never let him direct again, which is a tragedy. I can't, I can't see how people would not like this back in the day. But um, anyway, so what were you going to say? Drew? I think I could. I think I could. I see. was going to say, did he? Maybe it was too much. Did either of you ever read the book? No. Uh, the original no, book. No. I, I was always curious about it in relation to the movie because it is so you know, visually unique that I was curious to see how that was adapted and what the original text was I mean, like. I could, I could act absolutely see this failing um, because <laughs> Mitchum's character, I mean, He's Mitchum so played a lot of, yeah. yeah, I mean, he played a lot of different characters and he pretty much could do no wrong. I mean, when mm-hmm. when he when he got arrested, I mean, audiences loved him, right? When he got arrested for for pot and served on a chain gang, you know, it only made him more popular. Hmm. You know, so all the things that would have, you know, sunk the career of of any other star, it just made him more popular. Um, but I think this this may have been, a, you know, a little too much even for his most diehard fans. And I think, like, the, you know, the way that Shelley Winter's character is treated. I mean, I just think that it, it was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. And the same the same thing goes for, you know, like, A Face in the Crowd, for example. Like, totally bombed. And, I th- you know, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, this is pre-Andy Griffith's show. But, like, Andy Griffith was, was such, like, a nice character, you know, nice character on television you know it, this came out like the year before Andy Griffith or two years yeah, so I mean I th- you know so I think it was maybe in some respects so there were movies like that that were just a, a little too edgy for the time needed some time to marinate 
you know that um yeah Mitchum you know um I just watched a for on his birthday someone shared a clip and he was interviewed later and he was asked you know who's the best director you've ever worked with and he was like Charles Lawton hands mm-hmm. down yeah no, it's mm-hmm. it's a shame that um all right yeah. so we're almost to the end of the list but just have a few left uh, Night of the Living Dead so as somebody that's wrote a book I guess about the Watchmen I'm curious your perspective Drew. And then the living dead. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't even really know what new to say about Night of the living dead right. given, um, just, you know, what, what, it, what it did for the zombie genre, what it did for bringing social criticism to horror. And, you know, it didn't really bring that to horror, but just magnifying mm-hmm. it and making it more overt and, uh, relevant in, in some ways. Um, you know, it's really Romero's gift for just making it pointedly, uh, you know, political and at a time where it was more kind of indirect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so great. Um, yeah. It's so just, just distressing at the end. It's that the first time I saw that. So I'm terrified of zombies. Hmm. Like I don't like watching zombie movies I'm, and I hate vampires. Like I'm just a big wimp. And, but the first time I watched this, um, I was so distressed at the end. <laughs> I mean, I was in tears. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know. It, it is, I mean, it, and it's one of those things that just really sticks with you for a very, very long time. It does. Very, yeah. very difficult to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I'm so glad Criterion put this out because there's like a gazillion, um, uh, uh, I don't know how the rights worked out, but it's in the public domain. So I think like every mm-hmm. every crappy label has put a, a version out. Uh, but the Criterion version has a really good print, so I recommend that. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so now we have uh, Polanski, uh, so Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. Huge fan of Repulsion. I, I probably prefer it to Rosemary's Baby. Just it's so claustrophobic. Um, the Nuve is great. Uh, it kind of reminds me a lot of like Maya Darren's Meshes of the mm. Afternoon, just in terms of how a, a homestead can just be tormenting towards a, a woman. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just so good. I, I need to rewatch that one. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, that's one of those I can't really forget. <laughs> I mean, it's just so yeah, so so intense and um, and yeah, probably probably the best portrayal about isolation. And what that can do to people. Hey, little little relevant today, huh? Um, <laughs> and I like Rosemary's Baby fine. I watched it for Mother's Day to, uh, this year, and um, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I mean, the thing is, the you know, the the more you watch it, I think the the, the it it actually doesn't pay off as much with repeated viewings, but it's still a good movie. Um, and then we have uh, we have four more here, so we're running along. Um, seconds, which is is this horror? Would you say? Yes, I, I think it is. Okay. It's sci-fi. It's trippy. Uh, 60s. Trippy, sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, anything that's um, like dystopian is pretty damn scary. And, you know, uh, lump it in with more political thriller uh Manchurian Candidate, Seven Days in May. You've got your Frankenheimer Paranoia tri- Trilogy. And there's nothing more horrific than, you know, shadow governments and 
you know, uh, military coups and swapping your brain and body out or whatever the <laughs> hell they do, whatever procedure they do. Oh, yeah. And rock is so good. Rock is great. And, and uh, this is by far the most out there of the um, the trilogy. Um, yeah. I have to watch it again I to try to pick up on the, the political element. I'm sure it's smacks you right in the fa- face. but It's I, there. I remember it more like the fever dream. Uh, yeah, and it's so, uh, you know, this, you know, he uh, Frankenheimer convinced James Wong Howe to film, to, to shoot it, and, um, you know, I think this was his final, his final film, and there's just, he does so much with, there's just so much. <laughs> That adds to the to the paranoia in the film, the atmosphere of it. There's just some really weird shit he does with the camera. Yeah, it's that's pretty awesome. It's yeah, that's great. It's one of my favorites of his. And I was wrong about James Wong Howe. That was not his last. I don't know why I thought that. Howe was a master. Yeah, I thought he did did, did more in the, in the I think in the seventies even. But um, all right, vampire, yeah. vampire. Love it. Vampire is one of those. I, I find there's this kind of subgenre of horror that terrifies me more than any other, and it's movies that you have that when you're watching them, you almost doubt your own sanity. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd put like Twelve Monkeys in there, where it's mm-hmm. like I just I find them profoundly unsettling. And Vampire and even something like Phantasm, because of their like dream logic, where it doesn't really make narrative sense in any like kind of classical way in terms of character motivation or plot points they just kind of drift along mm-hmm. i find those really disturbing because i'm I, I just i'll be watching it and i'm like how the fuck did i find myself in the middle of this sequence like i remember <laughs> like two sequences ago but like there's this gap and i'm, I'm paying attention and i'm watching this movie but it just kind of drifts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in the middle of something very very different and i i, I really appreciate that about vampire I'm picking up on a trend. The the horror films that resonate with us are not the the slasher knife in your back kind of film, um, and more the atmospheric, uh, you know, com- social commentary. So, uh, last speaking of which, last one is Videodrome, uh, which has has a lot to say about videos <laughs> in people's bellies. I, I almost feel <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine because they just announced a 4K of um what's the rape revenge movie i spit on your grave Mm. and she was like i almost don't feel comfortable watching that on 4k because it needs to be gritty and i felt the same way Mm. watching videodrome the first time i saw videodrome it was on a gritty vhs tape and just the the tactile like tracking you know static of watching that on vhs and Mm -hmm. it's a film about vhs I was like, it almost feels raw seeing it that way, whereas as beautiful as the Criterion Blu-ray is, and I love it, I, I was like, no, it, it almost feels too clean. Like, it needs to feel gross and edgy like you found it on the in someone's basement or, you know, at an estate sale or, you know, in some illicit room at a video <laughs> store. It's so distressing for that. But, yeah, I mean, that's very similar to me uh to, to vampire right where mm-hmm. he's questioning is he dreaming this is it part of the tape is he being hypnotized what is reality mm-hmm. anymore and uh yeah i just it, it gives me the creeps <laughs> yeah, 
I wonder if they could have put a version on there that's like the uh, the, the video version. Um, I mean, it wouldn't have taken up much room. But uh, is this a, uh, your favorite Cronenberg? I do that in The Fly. Yeah. Yeah. In The Fly, you know, it, Cronenberg has this gift where he just, he, he, he's got, he's always got like a counter tone going on where in The Fly it's the romance where it's so profoundly pure in terms of the relationship between Goldblum and Gina Davis. I mean, that's why you want to cry at the end of it, right? Where you're just like, oh, this mm -hmm. is horrifying in terms of, yes, yeah, some of the body stuff, some of the um, things, you know, Gina Davis being threatened, but it's ultimately horrifying because you, you have to kill your lover, right? Mm -hmm. That this guy is a, a human underneath all this at, at some point, right? Um, so th that's, to me, what makes Cronenberg unsettling. And in something like Videodrome, it's, you know, it's that dynamic of what's real, what's fake, and the, the kind of, like, sexy and scary, you know, like, his, his use of that's... sex and body horror. Like, I mean, it's mm -hmm, just, it's mm -hmm. like, those two things shouldn't go together, but yet they do, <laughs> and you yeah. feel both emotions at the same time, and then you're like, oh, that's fucked up. What does that say about me that I'm... <laughs> exactly. Of, you know? Yeah, like Crash, yeah. you know, I, I was thinking about rewatching that. Oh, uh, yeah. But... Uh, and that and that's like the most uh, that's like he he dialed up the the sex and the well maybe not quite the body horror he, it's not at the same level as um videodrome but yeah i, I just ordered uh, dead zone just because i i found i was um there's a new uh, i think shout select and uh i realized i don't have enough um discs of horror films i want to see and i've seen that one before but it's been a been a few I, I had just watched that for the first time. I, really? That was like one of the few Cronenbergs I hadn't seen. And uh, yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, walking is just, the ice is going to break. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good walking. He does a great walking. <laughs> it's so good. Jill, I, I'm glad you like it. We'll talk. We'll talk about it. But yeah, you no, need, like. It, you it need just, to do your just, James Stewart, too. <laughs> I, I, all right, let's hear it. <laughs> I just showed the clip to my students the other day when we were talking about the code, but Jill and I have this running joke about the scene in Anatomy of a Murder where they have to talk about panties. Because I'm like, it's this weird meta moment where it's it's Preminger challenging the code, and he's like, listen, I'm going to put dialogue in this movie that this audience hasn't heard, but it's in this narrative scene where basically they're explaining to the judge why they have to use it, and then the judge turns to the people of the court, but he's really talking kind of the, the camera, right? So it's this weird scene where he's kind of like, all right, you know, what's that word you use? And Jimmy Stewart's like, panties, your honor. He's like, is this word going to be coming up again? And he's like, oh, yes, sir. It's going to be coming up all the time. Panties. All right. <laughs> George, but George C. Scott has this great moment too in that scene where he's like the, the judge is like you gotta call him panties and like Jim, Jimmy Stewart's like I'm a bachelor that's all I know what to call him <laughs> and uh, George C. Scott's like and I was in the war in France and we called him something more suggestive than that <laughs> you know and then judge's like, he's like yeah all French words are more suggestive <laughs> but yeah I love that movie oh Sorry for that digression, but no, it was I, I, we, we had we, we have an, our impressionist if we ever need him. <laughs> we had we had to squeeze a, a little panty joke in there. <laughs> oh lord! All right, well that's uh, is Criterion horror, so um, pretty good representation. I know we didn't cover it any like all the crazy Japanese house notwithstanding, but uh, we didn't get too you know like uh, Kurenko or Quiet Down or anything. I'm, I'm not thinking that's your alley, but. 
never know. <laughs> um, so, okay, beyond tr- Criterion, so this is our new segment of just, uh, you know, stuff that's coming out from other labels. So, Drew, as our guest, is there anything uh, that, that you're into or looking forward to? So, I bought them, but I haven't watched them yet. I got the uh, 4Ks of uh, the Morrissey Warhol horror movies. So, I've got Blood uh, for Dracula and Flesh for Frankenstein ordered. Uh, haven't seen either one before. They're going to be new watches. I think Flesh for Frankenstein doesn't technically come out until next month. But mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to see Blood for Dracula. But I was telling Jill... Um, just that how great the Warner Archive slate was this month, and one of my favorites, it was a first-time watch that I picked up in, I think, January or February. Matt Ziller-Seiss and Jen Johans were tweeting about it. It's a Ulu Brossard, I think is his last name, film called Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman, and it's written by Eddie Bunker. Eddie Bunker is this character actor. He was Ulu Grossbard, is the director's name. Um, and Eddie Bunker was a character actor who appeared in Reservoir Dogs. He was one of the Reservoir Dogs, the guy with the mustache. He doesn't really get any lines. Uh, but he was a kind of petty thief who actually went to jail. And so he wrote this book that was based off his real experiences. And uh, Dustin Hoffman wanted to adapt it. He was supposed to direct it. Um, but they didn't have playback available at the time. So Hoffman didn't really feel comfortable directing himself without being able to see the performance he was given. So he brought his uh, friend uh, Ulu in to direct it. And it's it's a fantastic crime movie. He starts off, he gets out of jail, he's trying to, you know, go through life and, you know, do things the, the normal way and, and not kind of fall back into his old life. And uh, he has a, a parole uh, officer played by Emmett Walsh, who's just kind of a hard ass. He's kind of a prick. And he railroads uh, the Dustin Hoffman character. Hoffman is friends with uh, another ex-con who shoots up in his room. And uh, Emmett Walsh blames Hoffman for it and sends him back to prison. And from that point on, Hoffman is like, fuck this. I'm, I'm going to rob banks again. And he hooks up with, like, Harry Dean Stanton and uh, Gary Busey. And they, they start doing, like, little heists. And it's it's an incredibly downbeat, gritty 70s uh 70s crime movie that's all shot in like la so i can't recommend that movie enough and i'm so glad that warner archive put it out and it's got a really decent commentary track with uh the director and hoffman talking about it so definitely check that out if you haven't seen it you know i almost blind bought that because i've heard so many great things about it uh from from others so i I think you just sealed the deal so uh yeah yeah it sounds awesome yeah yeah totally sold on that Uh, what do you got, Jill? All right. So first up, I've got this awesome um, 4K Blu-ray set of Misery uh, from Kino Lorber Studio Classics. You know, they just got into the 4K world not that long ago. And um, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I did pop it in, took a look at a few scenes. It looks fantastic. Uh, I love this movie. And uh, it's got it's got like a fair amount of special features. It's got a audio commentary by Rob Reiner and by William Goldman, and it also has like all these featurettes, um, like you know, advice for the stalked, profile of a stalker, <laughs> celebrity stalkers, anti-stalking laws. So look, um, 
you know, if you you want a great movie and you want to be informed on uh, stalking, you know, this is your your release. Um, and then I've, there's a also from um, KL Studio Classics or is a is a trio of uh, pre code films, uh, a pair of Tallulah Bankhead uh, pictures. One is the cheat. The other one is Devil in the Deep with um, Tallulah Bankhead, Gary Cooper, Charles Lawton, and a very young Cary Grant. And then the third one is um, Hot Saturday, Cary Grant, Nancy Carroll, and Randolph Scott. And um, Hot Saturday was actually part of a pre-code, long out-of-print pre-code box set. Uh, It was, I can't remember the name of the box set, but it had this and... um, Merrily We Go to Hell in it, I think. Um, and it was just like a DVD set. It had like three or four titles. So it's really cool to get that on Blu-ray. And then the last one I've got is uh, Warner Archive. Uh, their latest uh, release of the re-release on Blu-ray of the Thin Man movies. And so this is the Shadow of the Thin Man. Um, and then I think they just announced the next Thin Man movie. And then there's one more after that. So it looks like, you know we'll be getting all of those upgraded to blue, which is pretty exciting. So that's what I've got. They should just, just put them in a box, Thin Man box. I would love it. I but mean, the only probably... thing that they would be missing is that there's a like a like a extra disc in that box set, um, in the DVD box set that I actually have. And it has like a documentary or something. Um, but yeah, I would love to get a box. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it's good to see Warner uh, still kicking and Kino Lorber yeah. still putting out good stuff. I, I, we've said it before. It's all about access. They give us a lot of uh, right. a lot of content. And um, yeah, right. so we, we're, some people are harsh on them, but you know, they're not putting out the, always the best of films. Uh, no. I mean, they're just putting out films. No. And, they are. And a lot of it's going to be for people that are, you know... Like on this, on Hot Saturday, it's a great movie, mm-hmm. but I think you've also got to be really into pre-codes. You've got to be really into Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a deep cut. The same thing goes for the two Bankhead movies. You know, it's really for your diehard pre-code fan. You would not want to show this to someone and go, this is why classic movies are so great. Cause they'd be like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> but so, but I'm, I'm glad that they're, um, you know, they're releasing all these you know, pretty deep cut titles. So, um, yeah, well, I hope they keep doing what they're doing. Diehard Cary Grant fans and diehard pre-code fans exist. So there's a market for it. Yes, they do. Um, yes, they do. All right. Well, mine mine is a kind of a predicament. So I've already pre-ordered the Mulholland Drive 4K on Criterion. I'm, I'm thrilled that they, mm-hmm. they're doing this. Uh, I think it's a, a, a tremendous movie and well-deserving of the format upgrade. But there's nothing new on it. So do you... Uh, We've already had this conversation before with red shoes and everything else. You know, do you upgrade your Blu-ray and make your Blu-ray obsolete and um, not be able to sell it on e- eBay? So Studio Canal put out a, a, a new UHD um, Mulholland Drive. I don't know if it's out yet. I think it's coming out in December, and you can pre-order it now. And it actually has some new features. Now I, I haven't gone through and like compared what's on Criterion, but I'm pretty sure they're different and new to me and so and also it's just a different disc so I'm, I'm tempted to like cancel my um my criterion order and, and grab the studio canal but either way it, it looks like quite a release uh, nice packaging too and um mm-hmm. and yes studio canal in the criterion circles had 
did get a lot of shit for the out of print stuff. But um, right. but they put out good stuff. I've been buying their Region B stuff for probably five years now, if not longer. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's good, good stuff. So and some of their like their 4K of uh, Don't Look Now or is yeah. so great. I mean, like I don't know why you would. I, I know I've, I've gotten into this <laughs> Criterion Facebook group, but I'm like, why would you be a purist over the label when the transfer on the 4K is so much better? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the transfer on those two will be the same, but yeah, it is a nice looking package. I saw it the other day. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm into it. So, all right, well, let's wind down with our piece of flair. This is just anything not Criterion that we're enjoying lately. So, uh, Drew, you want to kick us off? I got two. So I read. Uh, I just finished David Simon's Homicide, the book. I've been trying to read some new to me material and uh, wow. despite the fact that I have seen the wire and I love it deeply I had never actually sat down and read his uh, homicide and it you know it's a beast of a book it's like 700 pages but I couldn't put it down and uh, the dialogue sings in it just the cop banner in his ear for it uh, really comes through and there's this whole kind of true crime story in there uh, that's woven throughout about a young african-american girl that uh, was killed that he never they never solved that's just really haunting uh and you know if you've seen the wire a a lot of it obviously is going to overlap with some of the problems they face with regard to budget cuts and clearance rates and city politics and even some of the dialogue is directly lifted from it but uh it's it's a fantastic read uh so i read that and then uh the wife and i just started midnight mass but we're only about two episodes in which I'm liking so far. I, I really like Hamish Linklater, who plays the the young priest in there, and it's nice to see him uh, getting more kind of starring roles rather than just being supporting on on things. So, curious to keep going with it. So, Drew, hold that thought. <laughs> have you seen the Homicide series? I have not seen Homicide the series. Um, I, I kind of want to watch it now mm-hmm. that I've read the book. But yeah, at the time, I think I just thought it was, you know, this this probably sacrilege but i just kind of assumed it was going to be something like law and order or dick wolf production and wasn't going to be very interesting but now that i know it's based off the book and everything uh i kind of want to go back and watch it yeah i haven't seen a lot of it but it it is a a, it's not that it's not law and order for sure uh (laughs) what do you have uh jill (laughs) yeah so you know normally we start our halloween watching on october 1st and we're recording this on the 2nd and um, my husband and daughter left yesterday afternoon for North Georgia for a daddy daughter Girl Scout trip. So last weekend, Ellie wanted to start our spooky season watch and we did a double feature <laughs> and the first one was, uh, the ghost of Mr. Chicken starring, uh, Don Knotts and Joan Staley, who was, uh, believe Miss November playboy girl, Miss November of 1957 or 1958. They put a, uh, a brunette wig on her to make her less pinuppy in this, which is great. A little more wholesome looking, but, um, you know, it's a very funny movie. Um, and it, <laughs> We are very big Andy Griffith show fans in our family. And so this is almost like an extension of Andy Griffith. A lot of the uh, bit characters from the show are also in this. The uh, director, um, 
of the the uh, the movie Alan Rafkin. He is like a legend in television. He directed a lot of episodes of Andy Griffith Show, Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, Bob Newhart, Sanford and Son. He did like shitloads of the original One Day at a Time. It's Gary Shandling show, Murphy Brown, first time around. So the guy's institution. So he makes this movie and it definitely plays like a, a, a little bit like a television show in how it's shot. Um, but a lot of fun and um, yeah, fun to watch with the kiddo. And then the second film uh, is it was The Witches, Nicholas Rogue, the original, and uh, based on Roald Dahl's uh, book. And have you guys seen this one? Mm-mm. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, Ellie, she's not scared by it. Hmm. Like, you know, this shit is ter- like, it's like when I showed Ellie Return to Oz, you know, I saw Return to Oz when it came out. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Return to Oz, but mm-hmm. that movie fucked me up like big time. Right. Because you've got like heads all those heads locked up in the cases, the wheelers, you know, all of that. First time she watches it, she's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm fine with it. And then the witches, you know, this is the second time she's seen it. And she just, she thinks it's awesome that the, the kids are turned to mice, to rats. Hmm. So, you know, and in the book, the kids stay rats. Like they don't get turned back. But that's, in the movie, oh, wow. you know, creepy. in the movie, yeah, in the movie that we, um, they get, uh, you know, get a happy ending. But um, I just have to say Angelica Houston in this is so fucking good. Hmm. Um, and there's a moment uh, in the movie where she does this, like, it's, it, just watch it. They, they put it out on a Blu-ray Warner Archive last year. And there's a lot of... Um, weird uh sex vibe coming off her character there's a there's a lot of like kind of like writhing around and you know it's very you're like holy shit kids movies in the 80s and early 90s were like mm-hmm. really dark so that's what we did a lot of fun sounds like a blast <laughs> yeah i'll check that out yeah not i love nick rogue but um I think the last one of his I've seen is Insignificance. I can't say it. Um, that was in the mid '80s. So, mm-hmm. all right, it's really good. And my Zetterling is in it. Um, oh, wow. She, yeah. So she's the grandma in it, and so, and uh, she's really, really great. So definitely, I mean, it's a kids' movie, but it's mm-hmm. you should watch it. It's really, really well made. Yeah, some kids' movies can be great. I mean, uh, Roll Doll, uh, James and the Giant Peach. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, although that one's a little out there too, it is out there. Yeah. So mine <laughs> is actually Midnight Mass. Uh, so I'm glad you brought th- brought that up, yeah. Drew. I um, I watched that uh, last weekend actually, and um, it's so. This is a word that probably would not have used 20 years ago, but um, bingeable. Like it is just so easy to just to you know press that button and um, and just go to the next one. So I've I've seen all seven episodes and. I'll tell you, Drew, that four and five are amazing episodes, and uh, that's that's what I've heard. And the the wife, we stopped. She was like, "Oh, I got time for one," and then we finished <laughs> one episode. She's like, "No, we got to do one more. Like, yeah. just keep it going." 
So yeah, it was it was definitely hard to stop. But yeah, it felt the first two felt a lot like Stephen King's Needful Things to me, where it was like this real tight lit yeah. knit community that you could tell was fraying on the sides that just needed a little bit of tugging. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. Um, I will. I will agree with you. Hamish Linklater um, is the best part of the series, and there's another actress. That pl- she plays uh, Beverly, and I can't remember. I don't. I think she's just kind of <clears throat> developed in the first couple episodes, but she's solid as well. Um, I, I, the one thing about Flanagan is I, I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing from him, um, his films and and his uh, series. I, but the one thing I've noticed is his weakness to me is that he loves monologues. And well, it's, it's actually a strength and a weakness. So when you have uh, Linklater giving one, and of course with this character it fits better because he's a preacher. Um, but we'll just say that it goes a little. He gets a little sentimental towards the end. So, like, The Haunting of a Hill House, I thought, was amazing at the middle, but d- didn't stick the landing, uh, but still really good. Um, Haunting of Bly-, Bly Manor was a little better, uh, but uh, but Midnight Mid- Mid- Mass is probably my least favorite of those three, even though, it, and it gets bonkers. Um, just just buckle in. I still think the best thing he's done is is Hush. I love Hush. I haven't seen just, Hush. I, and I maybe it's Hush. just because of the limited focus. It's It's, you know two hours horror movie hmm. three characters or so and uh it's it's relentless uh i had to turn it off in the middle of it and just like go take a break because i i was terrified interesting uh, so if you're in the if you're looking for something for the horror season it's on netflix yeah give it a go but no i, I do recommend midnight mass uh there's some really interesting ideas about religion um and I, i'm not going to say any more because you haven't seen it, the rest of it but um there's reach out to me when you're done <laughs> um yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. So, uh, all right, well, that's horror. We're in October. Let's um, let's do our horror thing. So, Drew, great to have you. Where can we uh, find you online? Thank you so much. You can uh, you can find me predominantly on Twitter these days because I got in Facebook jail for making a, <laughs> a joke about getting hangry over a sandwich. Um, so I got three days in the clink. But you can find me on Twitter at the Cinema Doctor. <laughs> Um, all one word, and uh, yeah, it's it's normally dick jokes, memes, and uh, you know, Criterion news. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was an attempted murder on Facebook. I I don't know. I get I see their, their that's side that's of what it. they said. <laughs> I mean, I guess if Danny Trejo is gonna get angry over a Snickers bar, it's you know, that's not murder. That's just manslaughter. But when I say something about a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of food for a horror episode so uh so jill where, yeah. where are you at yeah so you can find me at uh on twitter at biscuit kitten uh you also will find a lot of dick jokes and <laughs> memes and all that um also at the classic film collective uh we have a patreon um it's just a group of us ladies creating whatever the hell we want to, and you guys pay us for it. And then, uh, of course, here on, on Criterion Now, and then uh, whenever Wade and I get our shit together, a Drinking While Talking podcast. Great. And by the way, every episode, I have it in the template. The Classic Film Collective is the first link. So please support awesome. that Thank project. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. You can find I'm, I'm at AWS505, generally uh, t- uh, trolling Phillies fans these days. Uh, that's a different subject. <laughs> Um, you can find the show at uh, the Criterion Cast Master Feed is probably the best place that where you get the other great shows or um, 
We also have a Patreon if you want to get the unedited ver- versions of the episodes, and sometimes a little extra, sometimes not. <laughs> Long story. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>